Hey, welcome back to another episode of Salty Saints Podcast. I'm Zach, I'm your host, and I am chilling here with Alicia Bonson. What's up? So, um, I'll let Alicia get into uh, what all she's had going on in her, in her life, uh, what she is doing right now, but this is kind of a faith story episode talking about um, just God's different callings for each of us in life and how that looks a little different for all of us, but how it always boils down to uh, a same the same few principles, I think, in order to live out that calling. Is that fair to say? I think so. All right, cool. Um, so to get us started, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, just kind of basic background information. Okay, so um, let's see, I am 27 years old, I born and raised in Greenwood, Indiana. Um, my mom is Nancy Bonson, which with the people at New Hope, they probably know her more than they know me. Yep. Um, I've been on the praise team here a couple of times Mm -hmm. doing some singing. So, um, yeah, I graduated from Taylor University with a major in professional writing. Um, and I'm, this semester will be my last semester of grad school Mm -hmm. Um, from Biola University, getting a major in teaching English to speakers of other languages. Awesome. Um, A lot of what you just said uh, about your schooling and everything actually ties into uh, what we're talking about today. All right. And so that would be your, I mean, would would you call it your calling? I mean, from God? Yeah, at least for right now, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And so why don't you tell everybody kind of what you've been doing the last few years how many years has it been um the first time i went to south korea to teach english was in 2016 okay but i did do a little bit of esl um with just in greenwood area with the chin center Mm -hmm. with the burmese refugees um and with just new hope with our own esl stuff yeah i did a little bit of that before i went to south korea but right and so um like what what initially prompted you to want to pursue this direction? Um so the first time I got interested in doing ESL was actually I was doing a study abroad uh during my undergrad. We went to England and because I was considered an international student, I got connected with the other international students, many of whom were not native English speakers. And so they were like, oh, you're American. You're a native English speaker. Can you check on my papers and make sure that everything's spelled right? And I ended up really enjoying um, building those relationships and having, like, English as the kind of bridge between Mm -hmm. that. It was uh, a really great experience. And so that was my junior year in undergrad. And so I came back. It wasn't – I really – I feel like I should have, made like, minored in it. But I didn't have enough credits in my senior year to do it. So I just got a uh, TESOL, which is Teaching English to Speakers of Other Languages. Okay. The acronym is TESOL um, or TESOL, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Fair enough. But uh, I got that. I just got a certification. So I did take a couple of classes at Taylor. And one of the biggest international student populations at Taylor uh, we're South Korean. There's a sister school in South Korea called Handong University that sends every year lots of students for their study abroad. They st- and Instead of sending them somewhere else, they send them to Taylor. 
Um, so most of the international students, at least when I was there, were South Korean students. So when I was taking TESOL classes, I had to help out in the actual ESL classes at mm -hmm. Taylor. And so I got to um, form some relationships with a lot of the South Korean students on campus. So that kind of opened, that was really the first time I was really aware of South Korea in general. Okay. Um, Not to be confused with their friends to the north. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes, it's a little harder to get to North Korea. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that was how I got kind of introduced to that. Um, for the certification, the last thing I had to do was a practicum, and I wanted to do it not for in the States. Like, I wanted to go out and do it. Mm -hmm. And so OMS, um, I've always known people at OMS, like Lori McFall, and she was telling me, you know, they have a thing in South Korea, an English camp called Adventures in English, where they have native English speakers go and run the camp for um, South Korean, uh, like elementary school and high school, actually not elementary school, high school and uh, adults. Mm -hmm. And then they also have a mini camp that they do that's for North Korean refugees. Okay. So that was how I spent my practicum was then after I graduated that, that next summer, I went to South Korea to do the adventures in English. Okay. Very cool. Um, now, is that is that what you've done the majority of the time you've been over there? Was through the the, the adventures in English? Or? Um, yes and no. It was stuff with OMS. Um, so the so OMS is historically connected to a denomination of uh, Korean Christians called the the KEHC, the Korean Evangelical Holiness Church. Real quick, OMS for anybody. Oh, One Mission not, Society. Yep, gotcha. Which is just a international Christian ministry. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, it's a missionary sending organization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So those two organizations have been historically connected. And so um, OMS has missionaries in South Korea. Not so much anymore, but um, there were a few still there. Um, so I went and so those two organizations kind of combine to do adventures in English. Okay. And then after adventures in English, the KHC has for their missionaries. So the KHC also sends their own missionaries. These are South Korean pastors that are going to go abroad somewhere during their training time. They have about a month of intensive English because they need English to travel and it's good for communication right. no matter where they're going so they asked me if I would stay and help with that so I've been helping um, with that training center that was a lot of what I was doing it was mostly with the training center okay very cool mm -hmm. um, now when when did you start learning South Korean so I started learning Korean so I did the ed the first adventures in English um, that was in the summer of 2016, and then after that, I just knew I wanted to go back, and I wasn't sure in what capacity, and so while I was waiting for God to show me, okay, how and why am I going to go back, I knew that I would need to know how to speak Korean, so I was like, you know, I might as well go there, learn to live there, learn the language, so I did that for 2017 and a little bit of the beginning of, uh, or the end, yeah, it was 2017, pretty much that whole year. 
So did you go in with, like, no knowledge of the language? No. When I was in my senior year of undergrad, um, with no, knowing that I was going to go do adventures in English, because there were so many South Korean students on campus, I asked one of them, who actually lived in the same dorm as me, I asked her, I was like, could you tutor me a little bit? And then, so by the time I was, I actually went to South Korea for the first time, I could read and write, Okay. but I, and I could maybe say hello, like basic phrases yeah, 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 yeah. like that. So I didn't know a whole lot, but I could at least read. You could get by. I could kind of get by, okay. but then it was when I actually went to language school that I kind of actually started to really know how to communicate, but yeah. Okay. Very cool. Um, so you, you mentioned that you were waiting for God to kind of show you um, what to do. What did that look like for you? So that was probably out of the the desperate prayers of someone who just graduated college going, I don't know what to do with my life now. I don't have a job lined up. I don't know what I'm going to do. I know I have these skills. And uh, I knew South Korea was part of the direction, but I didn't know, was it to be an English teacher? Was it to be a missionary? Was it to be, I don't know, something else that I didn't know. So I was thinking, well, if I know I have to be over there, I'm going to be over there and do something that will help me mm -hmm. later on, which, so, and then while I'm there, pray some more about, okay, how yeah. am I going to continue doing this? Yeah, mm -hmm. I like that. Um, oh, man, I had a good question. What was it? It ran away from me. That's okay. No, I got to get, we, <laughs> I got to circle back. Um, I'll remember it. I'll remember it in a second. Um, so... Oh, yeah, I remember. Um, have you had any good opportunities to, like, witness to people um, um, in the midst of teaching them? I mean, you probably don't want to just be like, hey, you know, Jesus. You know, yeah. You know, just, like, shove that in the middle of an English lesson, I'm sure. But, like, mm -hmm. um, has it come up organically ever? Um, um, I was in a very interesting situation because the people that I was working with mostly were – pastors okay so it's so, I mean, at it's the training mostly, center so, right. so like you don't get outside of that into the general population a whole lot then um not a whole lot just uh, because my language at the time wasn't high enough mm -hmm. to really and i there it was also kind of hard to get connected to people outside of the group of people that i knew because it, it right. was, i either knew other foreigners who right. i met at like church or but getting outside of that i mean when i was in language school there were lots and lots of uh mm -hmm. people who um i could form relationships with but other than that it was a little hard with the language to be able to just go out and right. like get out of out of that bubble there was um one person who came to the training center she wasn't a pastor she was visiting one of the pastors who was on furlough and so all of the missionaries every year go on like a retreat, and all the all the people at the um, the training center. And so they always go rafting. Uh, so they invited every all the furloughing missionaries too, who weren't necessarily in the training. Um, and there was a, a lady from India who was about my age, um, who was, had just happened to be visiting. She had met the 
this particular missionary couple um, while she was in India, and they invited her to come and just see South Korea with them oh. while they were on furlough. And so she came, and so it was. There were some really um, interesting. Uh, theological conversations about God from really? what her perspective was and that's mm-hmm. interesting yeah okay um what like where does South Korea stand um on the religious spectrum just in general so I I the way I've heard, had it explained to me and it seems to be this way is about 50 percent of the South Korean population is religious and the other half are either nothing agnostic or, or agnostic or, um, and then of the 50% that are religious about half are Christian about half are Buddhist okay so, so. Christianity makes up a good chunk yes. of the wow Christianity I didn't know Christianity has is actually it's the feeling of Christianity in South Korea is very similar to the U.S. because Christianity has actually been in South Korea for a long time. And it's to the point where there's generations of Christians, where their whole right. families have been Christians, and there's youth going away from the church and not seeing uh, okay. how it's relevant. And so there's actually a lot of the same situation. Kind of dealing with postmodernism yes. in the same way. Okay. Yeah. You right. can, you it, at night, most churches have these glow-in-the-dark red crosses on top of their churches. So if you look at somewhere in Korea at night, like in Seoul, and you look out, you could see all the, cr- all the red crosses. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's really weird. Um, so when you lived there, mm-hmm. um, what did you do at that point in time? Because were you still doing the English Yeah, I was classes? still working with okay. the training center. Okay, mm-hmm. I got you. But then um, you you said you had a, a roommate at that? Uh, I When I was going to language school, I had a couple different roommates. They were all OMS people. One was Susan Truitt, who was the the regional director of OMS um, for South Korea. Mm -hmm. And then another one was another missionary who happened to be there. Um, So that was uh, my roommate then. But then after that, um, I mostly – I had my own room, but I worked with other people. Okay. So I didn't really have a, a roommate necessarily. Right. Mm-hmm. So you you have always stayed like with OMS when you've yeah. gone there. Okay, mm-hmm. I got you. Yeah. Um so like is it what what's that like kind of uh does it does it feel familiar? Have you been to OMS here much? Uh the headquarters? Yeah. Yeah. So is mm-hmm. it like a similar vibe being um, at the the one there versus here? Um I've always wondered about that, like like embassies, for instance. Oh, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you've got this Mexican embassy in mm-hmm. America. What's it like in a Mexican oh. embassy in America? You know what I mean? Yeah. Is it more American? Is it more Mexican? Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Well, um, when Randy was talking about the the South, like last Sunday, he was talking about the South Korean um, OMS guest house and yeah. talking about that yeah, yeah, jade yeah. bed and everything. So I've been to that particular place oh, a lot. okay yeah. the jade bed actually isn't there anymore they got rid of it actually last year so it's no, actually just a, it. it's just a regular bed now they actually had for a long time kept they had put a mattress on top of the jade bed really so that the because no americans who came to the guest house wanted to sleep on the rock 
Would you so, want, yeah, do you want to explain the, the whole Jade Bed thing for anybody so, listening that what didn't see that? Uh, okay, so last Sunday, Randy talked about how in the South Korean OMS guest house that they have, there's this big bed, but instead of having like a mattress or like a wooden support, it's just a slab of jade. And they're supposed to be like medicinal things about different rocks yeah. and things. And the rock is heated so that, or at, le at least it used to work, um, where that way you wouldn't be cold. Mm -hmm. um, traditionally, Koreans do sleep on the floor. It's not a, I mean, it, it probably used to be a thing out of poverty. They couldn't afford a bed, but... Um, now you can get a bed if you want um some people do some people don't it's not a sign of like oh they sleep on the floor so they must be poor it's just it's a lot of people just sleep on the floor um in south korea the floors are heated like pretty much every single floor in south korea they're heated really mm -hmm. so they just it's warmer to sleep on the floor that's cool mm -hmm. Very yeah cool. so they they also do a lot of different things with like air conditioning and heating they think it's just a different way to think about it do you, do you want to go into some like cultural sure. differences just like what life's like yeah let's do it so um one of the biggest shocks so the weather in south korea is actually kind of similar to indiana um it doesn't do the up and down dive mm. thing though it's a much more steady up and down they do have about a couple months, about August or July, where it rains pretty much every day. It's not a full rainy season, um, but it does have a short, tiny, mini rain season. Um, but other than that, they have spring, summer, winter, fall. It's northern hemisphere, so it's the same. It lines up the same as the U.S. Um, the, but they traditionally, because they heated their floors, nowadays it's has pipes of water underneath and they heat up the water mm -hmm. um but it used to be that they had they burned coal or like charcoal underneath and so there were lots of instances of carbon monoxide poisoning oh man so that happened even to like pretty recent days if you didn't have if you didn't have the money to have the like underneath water so that was a serious problem so a lot of south korean buildings and houses aren't very well insulated because they're afraid of too much insulation they want the air to be able mm -hmm. to escape yep wow. so they don't tend to do central air because they want it they want windows to be open they want all of that so interesting that so it tends to be for of somebody who in america who's used to ac being a central thing and they do have like air conditioning units but they're like single things either like a big block of something in the corner or like a strip of plastic on the top of the ceiling and it's you turn it on individually and then turn it off and it's per room okay and then the winter it can get pretty cold um because again it's not insulated so they sleep directly on the floor where it's heated um, and then they don't ever take their coats off even if they go inside <laughs> Really? Yeah. So when, that was something that was interesting for me. So I had this big, like, parka thing that I would wear. But then when I wanted to go inside, I the first thing i do was take it off because it's warm enough, but no one else did. And I realized that in, in the winter, people just live in their coats. Weird. Very cool, though. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's a very different perspective on how to do that. 
this is really stupid, but I gotta say it. I think the only time I've ever seen what any kind of South Korean home looks like. Have you seen the movie Parasite? Oh no, I haven't. But I've heard. <laughs> yeah, that, I heard that. I think it won a bunch of awards. It, stuff, it was right? like, yeah, it was like yeah, best it was a film big of the deal year. in South Korea because it got international recognition. He's a great director. He's warped, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, they lived like down. Um, they're they're a very poor family mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, and they live like on right off this busy street downtown, mm-hmm. and it's like in a basement, mm. but it's only like halfway down, mm. so that you can still kind of see above street level. But it was just really odd. Yep. And did a lot of people live in areas like that? I think so. Yeah, it's um, traditionally like you know, even here, the higher up in an apartment you live is the more expensive. Yeah. So it's kind of the same thought where. The poorest people will live in the basements. Okay. And a lot of, because South Korea is very mountainous. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of people living in between the mountains. And so it's very dense. So pretty much, like, so if I, when I tell people, oh, I live in a house in the States, they're like, oh, you must be rich because that means there's lots of land. You can buy your own, you have enough land where you can buy your own space to put your house. Mm. Pretty much everybody in South Korea, at least in Seoul, lives in an apartment because there's not enough space for houses. It's, you've got to build up and down. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, I feel like that's a lot of cities yeah. in other countries mm-hmm. are, are more condensed than we are maybe mm-hmm. here in the States. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you are here currently, yes. right? Like how long have you been back? Uh, I was, I got back at the end of 2019. So right before Corona yep. was really a thing. Yeah. So and I didn't have to worry about any of that while I was over there, the travel back. Gotcha. It was after that. And that's kind of put a damper on things, right? Like, have you been back since? I haven't been back since. Okay. Um, part of it is because of Corona, but, um, I wanted to do my master's degree mm-hmm. and I needed to devote time to that. I'm not really good at multitasking. Same. So, um, I had to focus on, I knew I wasn't going to be able to do a new job and get my master's at the same time. So I just, I was able to come back and it ended up working out because a lot of the jobs that, um, at least in this area, there's not a whole lot of English teaching where they'll pay you. It's a lot of volunteer. Yeah. Um, so it was a lot of the, the, so what I did for income was I online tutored um, mostly with a company called VIP Kid. It was a, a Chinese company, but that company has since gone under because Korea, China made it illegal for private education to be a thing. But that's another topic. Oh, my. <laughs> so China um, putting a damper on everything all the time. Yeah, It's just kind of what they do. <laughs> not, not to go down that rabbit hole. Um, okay. So... Do you do you think you're going to go back at any point in time? Like, what, yeah. when, when do you plan on trying to make that happen? Or so, uh, I'm planning to go back. So the I'm planning to go back as an English teacher in an elementary school. Um, I'm not necessarily planning to do that forever. Um, my goal is to be a English professor, maybe okay. to teach like the non English major students who just have to take English classes. Right. Right. Um, maybe be the actual English professor later, but, um, yeah, so applications for that, I'm actually going to come in in the second semester. 
Okay. Um, the the Korean school year starts about March, and then it goes that way. Okay. So the second semester starts in the late summer, early fall, so like August. Gotcha. So I'm gonna start applying. Um, in February, so next month, and then hopefully be there. Depending on how long I have to get there early to do quarantine and yeah. do all of that. So that has definitely played a part in going back is a lot of schools now it's expensive mm. because they have to not only pay for the teacher to come, but they have to pay for the teacher's quarantine, which if the teacher doesn't have their own apartment or house yet, then they have to do government quarantine, which is really expensive. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. Um, you know, something else I was just thinking about, um, like, is there any, any level of, like, danger over there with the fact that North Korea is literally just right next door? Because, um, I mean, they're kind of – it's kind of a scary place, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, di- I just didn't know if, like, that was just kind of like nobody really talks about that or if it's, like, actually something on the radar that people are like, yeah, that's not yeah. good. Well, I was – when I was there um, – Kim Jong-un was launching a lot of missiles, yeah, well, a lot. Yeah, and, and he's been doing it for a while. That's why but, I wanted to... Yeah, but you don't... Nobody really... You can't live in constant fear like that. Right. And the American military has a huge presence in South Korea and has ever since the Korean War to deter that sort of thing. Okay. And then uh, the every single Korean male before they're 35 has to do two years of mandatory military service. It's like Israel. Mm-hmm. Yep, they do the yeah. same. So every single Korean male who's around, around 35 and older knows how to handle a gun, knows how to okay. do that sort of thing. Um, so that is indirect preparation for if anything should happen. Yeah. But Very yeah, cool. I never felt like that was my biggest issue when I was there. It was. Well, yeah, and I, it wasn't so much like, because I honestly. I don't know. I feel like the whole world's kind of like, yeah, North Korea, kind of scary. And at the mm-hmm. same time, we're like, eh, it's North yeah. Korea. So, like, I didn't yeah. know if it was just since it's close proximity mm-hmm. to them that, that yeah. it was more of a thing or not. Yeah. But. And it it was really interesting. So I actually got to go to the the DMZ. The, oh, really? Right where the two countries are. You see that, the, like, blue building that's half in North Korea and half in South Korea. Yeah. I've been inside that building. Really? Yeah. So that was in, an interesting thing is... South Korean citizens cannot go there. Only foreigners can as like a trip. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's part of the deal is that South Koreans cannot go there. Did you see all the fake buildings? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fake, so the propaganda crazy. villages. I've, so I've seen, crazy. I haven't been in those, but I've seen them through like a telescope oh, kind of thing. Yeah. That's wild. But um, there is uh, one particular area where uh, it's, that it's called Imjinga, and this place has a specific area where people have posters. They're, like, about this big, and people post them all over this building, the front, the sides, everything, and they're all missing posters for North Korean defectors who were defecting with other people and have lost track and they don't know where they are. Or... The same, or even from back during the Korean War, mm-hmm. and when they lost family who they don't know where they are, so they there's just these signs, and they're everywhere. Really, just looking for it'll say like their name, the gender, 
the last time they saw them and you know you know where they think they got separated or something like that very but very crazy. um yeah south koreans in general still think of north korea as part of their family like a lot of huh. them have family over there and so the especially around imjingak there's a it's part of the, it's where the railroad would have gone you could see the the remnants of the bridge that had the railroad it's just been blown to smithereens but you could see where it was and right next to it is a fully functional real railroad that goes right to the point basically as uh, almost as far as you could possibly go right to north korea they are so ready for the countries to be reunited really and there's like the like desperation of that is the closest real life illustration I've seen of people who, um, how people, how Christians should act in response to the waiting for the kingdom of God to come. Yeah. It's like this, they're doing everything they can. Let's to have it ready. So yeah. when everything's good, mm -hmm. we're back to normal. Yeah. So the second it's open, they're going to like build the rest of the railroad up, get trade and commerce and, get people help and rescue them and That's there is cool. so many programs ready so it's the seeing that site and then a lot of um south korean christians too there are i've been to um like they call them like unification prayer meetings mm -hmm. where the whole these huge groups of people come and all they do is they pray that god will reunify the country so that they can go in and help their North Korean brothers and sisters. Need more of that here. Oh yeah. Need a lot more of that here. So it's it was that I remember seeing that and going like this is how Christians should act about that. That's really God. cool. Like that is really cool. Mm -hmm. I like that. Mm -hmm. Um. And so, are your long term plans to live there? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Cool. I mean, coming back and you know for like Christmas and stuff would sure, be good. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Is it is it like a culture shock jumping back and forth? Um. Honestly, I haven't had too much culture shock in that. I I don't know if it's just the way my brain works, but I've can I just kind of can separate them. I'm like I don't have expectations for things in South Korea that I would have in in America, and I kind of just separate them. So yeah, it's not that big a deal for me. But it seems like culturally, as far as like media and stuff goes, like there's a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. Um. But, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it's always been interesting to me because, like, um, I guess I'm used to looking at countries that resemble the U.S. and then, like, hearing, uh, like, Latin-based languages with those countries, like mm -hmm. Europe, you know what I mean? Yeah. But then, like, to see South Korea, and it really seems to resemble yeah, the U.S. in a lot American of ways. There's a lot of American influence because Americans have been in South Korea for such a yeah. long period of time. It's it's funny. In South Korea, if they see a white woman, they assume she's an English teacher. If they see a white male, they assume he's a soldier. Really? Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Very cool. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of talking about, uh, you know, pursuing your calling – um, to anyone that might be listening uh, that feels like, you know, God might be putting something on their heart, what would you recommend to that person um, as maybe first steps in trying to decide, you know, is this something God is calling you to? And if it is, what do you do next? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, pray, obviously pray about it. Um, I mean, find those connections. I mean, the, the steps of me getting to South Korea to just saying that at first being like, I'm going to South Korea. People are like, how did you do that? But from me and my perspective, it's been a very logical and not at all crazy step of leading the, up to There it wasn't with just other one people. big weird random yeah. leap. It was like little by little mm-hmm. things started it to was fall people that I direction. knew and uh, people whose counsel I trusted and whose connections were, you know, God was just opening doors and opening doors and opening doors and Yeah. Yeah. So I think um yeah, just you know, searching for the um counsel of the people who you trust in your life. Um, because they can, they can give you some, I mean, they can, not every single person you meet is going to be able to confirm what God is saying to you or not, but they can help you like check yourself, make sure that, you know, kind of test. Okay. Give you, cause sometimes when God's doing things in your life and you get so excited and you kind of, uh, can get distracted or miss something. And you need them to kind of keep yourself in check, focus it, you know, maybe help depending on your personality, you know, bring some, some logical steps to it and things like that. Yeah. I think that's all sound advice. Mm -hmm. Um, awesome. Do you have anything else you would like to talk about? Because I think that pretty well covers my questions. I mean, I could talk about Korea for days. So yeah. it's all about how much about time you have. Any, any, any boy bands or no, what, no. what is it? B, what is it? BTS? Is I, that think, I think, yeah, that's the big one. Is right that the now. big one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But. No, I had to. I, so I, you know, I worked in a barbershop. I actually oh, just quit the barbershop, yeah. but, um, I had a kid come in and, uh, Oh, did he want, like, a hairstyle? He was a white kid, but he wanted, like, the, like, South Korean, like, boy band cut. So it's, like, a bowl (laughs) cut, essentially, but, like, different hair texture. Because, like, for an Asian guy, it's really thick hair, you know, Mm -hmm. and it makes sense. And this kid's hair texture is, like, nothing the same. I'm like, dude, I can give you this haircut, but it's not going to look look like that at all. I've been been on the opposite of that. I, as a white person, went to a hair salon in south korea and about gave a heart attack to those poor ladies there who yeah. it's like not a very touristy area and they saw me and then i i went with my friend who is also american and sh- they were like okay <laughs> like we can do this and so my hair is already it's just kind of weird hair anyway it's it's really really fine mm-hmm. and it won't do anything texture wise and so they were looking They're at it, like, pulling hair. it out in clumps, like, I'm destroying this lady's hair. And I'm like, no, that's just the way my hair is. It's okay. That's so crazy. The look of horror on their face. And they're like, I was not prepared for this. I'm telling you, people don't, I'm sorry, we, we won't we won't dwell on this. But, like, people don't understand, like, when somebody of a race of hair walks in that you've not dealt with much, mm-hmm. it's the scariest thing on earth. Because everybody's hair is totally different. Mm-hmm. People don't know that. But uh, it, it's totally a thing. Yep. Um, yeah, we're not we're we're not going to dwell on that. <laughs> Regardless, though, I do appreciate you coming on and talking a little bit about South Korea and what you've been doing over there, and 
Um, I really like the the whole idea of you know pray about it, go find good, trustworthy, accountable mm-hmm. believers, and and just you know people that care about you that can keep you in check and uh, make sure you're testing um, mm-hmm. testing your. Uh, I don't know, to make sure it's not just your desire yeah, rather your than God's will. interpretation of what you think God's trying exactly, to tell you. Exactly, exactly. Um, but other than that, yeah, I mean, thank you guys for tuning in. If you've got questions, you can send those to questions at becomehope.com or saltysaints at becomehope.com. And until next time, totally say stay salty in South Korean. That, that. Stay salty. We'll see you guys. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.